0: You are listening to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Stay tuned for the Heartland Labor Forum, radio that talks back to the boss. show of news, information, and commentary by and for the working people of Kansas City. This show is produced by a team of volunteers from a broad range of workplaces and unions. The views expressed on the Heartland Labor Forum are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any unions involved.
1: Welcome
0: to the Heartland Labor Forum. Tonight's show is being underwritten by the American Postal Workers Union, Local 67, and Communications Workers, Local 6360. The American Postal Workers Union, we sort the bail every day, and we remind you to register to vote and to support causes which help working people. And Communications Workers of America, Local 6360, represents technicians who install, program, repair, and maintain AT&T's network in the Kansas City metro area. They also represent 911 dispatchers in Blue Springs, Independence, and in Jackson County, and workers in who bury communications line, and direct TV technicians. The workers at Raven Printing, E2 Embroidery, and Campbell Creative are also Local 6360 members. Local 6360 proudly supports the Heartland Labor Forum. And we thank them and the postal workers for their support. On tonight's show, Elise Martini, Woman at the Top, and Steve Giacconi of Riffers Union. On tonight's show, Elise is one of the highest ranking women in the building trades union history. This this tonight on the Heartland Labor Forum, we'll talk to her and find out how she rose from Cement Masons Apprentice to VP of the Operative Plasters and Cement Masons <clears throat> International Association. Then, a roofer's life is often unbearably hot or cold and almost always dangerous. Steve Dracone came to down off a roof, and became business manager of Roofers Local 20. Why become a roofer, and what difference does it make to hire a union roofer? We'll find all that out on tonight's show. In the news, it's all about nurses going on strike and how to support them. Our feature at the end of the show is Labor Song of the Month with Mark Galis. And now for the news. Lisa Watson is a nurse at Ascension Via Christi St. Francis Hospital in Wichita, where the National Nurses Union, NNU, represents 650 people. And just a word about Ascension Hospitals, something I didn't know before. They are the second largest and wealthiest nonprofit Catholic health system in the country in fiscal year 2021. Ascension reported a net income of more than $6.4 billion, and the system CEO took home a compensation package worth more than $13 million. Additionally, according to the 2022 SEC Commission filing, Ascension runs an investment company that manages more than $41 billion. And this is really kind of strange for a so called Nonprofit, Lisa, you're planning on going on strike next Wednesday. Can you tell us some of the reasons why
2: nurses are forced to strike? The nurses in Wichita do not want to strike. The nurses in Wichita are striking because Ascension is not giving us any other choice. We go to the bargaining table and we are not making headway on those most important issues that will keep our patients safe. We have had major issues in the hospital Staffing has been a problem. Floating is a big issue right now. And we want to be there. We want to take care of our patients. And Ascension is making it impossible for us to give good patient care. You mentioned the word floating. Can you explain? Yes. At the bargaining table, we've had a lot of discussions about floating because we have inappropriate floats. So we have labor and delivery nurses floating to site. We have ICU nurses floating to the floors. Nurses are not a one-size-fits-all package. We have very specific things that are our specialties that we are good at. And putting us in a unit that we are used to and we are used to those patients is gonna have better patient outcomes and give our patients the best care. It sounds from the press release that
0: the union center floating itself is caused by a short staffing policy. And in fact, last December, the New York Times investigation into Ascension staffing conditions reported that the hospital, quote, spent years reducing its staffing levels in an effort to improve profitability, even though the chain is a nonprofit organization with nearly 18 billion of cash reserves.
2: So, how's that played out at your hospital? Ascension has been running a short staff since before COVID. My unit was full COVID for a year and a half. Um, We lost a lot of people because of our conditions. And when you add short staffing on top of that, it is a major issue. We lose nurses all the time who do not wanna work in the hospital anymore, don't wanna be in these conditions. And the hospital has created this problem. There are thousands of nurses in Kansas and hundreds of thousands of nurses all over the country who have active licenses, and they choose not to work under these conditions. And this is why we formed a union. This is why we joined NNU. We wanted to stand up. We knew that things could be better, that things should be better. This is my home community. I live in Wichita, and if someone in my family is going to be in the hospital, They're going to go to St. Francis, and I want them to be well taken care of and me not have to stress. This is the most vulnerable time in these patients' lives, and they should not be treated like numbers. And that's exactly how Ascension treats them.
0: Are you on the negotiating team?
2: I am. So what does the hospital say when you raise these kinds of issues? We have met with the attorneys. Nobody locally is on our On our bargaining team for Ascension we meet with the attorneys and since he doesn't even live in the state he doesn't see that these are problems or or know about the problems. So you're saying that Ascension
0: is sending their lawyer to the bargaining table and nobody who's familiar with hospital
2: operations is on their bargaining team. That is correct. We have an internal attorney from Ascension. We have an external attorney who represents Ascension and we have a labor director. They live in Milwaukee and Boston, I believe.
0: Are the problems the same in Milwaukee and Boston as they are in Kansas?
2: I would assume in general, but not specific. I think if we, if we had somebody here local, Um, that would address our concerns, but they do not come to our bargaining table.
0: Have you all filed unfair labor practice charges against them?
2: Yes, we have filed numerous unfair labor practices, and we're waiting for them to get through the process with the NLRB. How long have negotiations been going on? We started negotiating in February. We won our election last November. So um, it's been a long time. St. Joe here in town, our sister hospital won their election in March. We asked to bargain at the same table since we um, float between those hospitals. And we are a sister hospital and they have refused to let us bargain at the table together.
0: Do they participate in these same bargaining sessions that you all do?
2: Yes. St. Joe bargains with the same people that we bargain with. Not not together. Is that right?
0: Sounds like they're not too interested in coming to an agreement on what would be a first contract. Is that correct? That is what I believe. Okay. So you're going on strike. You've given the 10 day notice, which is required by law, and you're going on strike only for one day. Why only for one day?
2: We're going on a strike for one day um, because we want to get back to our patients, so we're hoping on that second day they will let us back into the hospital. Last time um, we gave a strike notice, they locked us out for three additional days and they chose to pay those strike nurses ungodly amounts of money instead of letting the nurses who know those patients and know the community back into the hospital so that we could do our jobs.
0: Have they threatened to hire permanent replacements? Oh, of course, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So you're taking a big
0: risk by doing this.
2: Yeah, we are taking a big risk, but it is a big step. Our patients deserve so much better. And you know we're hopeful that management will come to the bargaining table when we bargain before the strike and do the right thing and settle a contract and it's completely in their hands. We have talked about most things, they've gone back and forth across the table and we just need to come to an agreement on the last of it and and unfortunately they've been dragging their feet. What can people do to help, anything? Well, of course we would love anybody who wants to come down and walk our strike line on the (laughs) sixth from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, But, you know, support us on social media, email and send letters to Ascension to our president and our CNO. Um, They don't listen to us. They, They absolutely ignore us, but maybe they will pay attention to the community. If they really believe that patients are important, then they should be looking into things that would avert a strike and make things better for those patients.
0: We have been talking to Lisa Watson, who is a nurse at Ascension St. Francis Hospital in Wichita, Kansas. Thank you so much, Lisa. The strike is Wednesday, December 6th. You can support the NNU nurses by calling Jennifer Richter, Vice President of Human Resources at 317-508-3473 and tell them you support the nurses' issues on staffing. You can also tweet or on Instagram or Facebook, show your support at National Nurses.
3: I'm Judy Morgan, President Emerita of the AFT Local 691 and former Missouri State Rep for District 24. And I will be co-hosting tonight's show with Tom Gepkin, President of CWA Local 6360. This evening, we're delighted to have as our guest, Elise Martini. A well-known and highly respected figure in our labor community, Elise served as the first woman business manager, financial secretary of the Greater Kansas City Building and Construction Trades Council for 11 years. Last year, Elise was unanimously appointed by the executive board of the Operative Plasters and Cement Masons International Association to serve as vice president. Tonight, we'll talk to Elise about her career of 43 years as a trailblazing woman union leader. Elise, welcome to the Heartland Labor Forum again.
4: It's great. Thank you, Judy. I'm glad to be here.
5: Well, Lise, you've really excelled in your career and risen to one of the highest-ranking women in the history of building and construction trades in America. Would you discuss your path and from the time you joined the Cement Masons Apprenticeship Program in 1980 to where you are now as an international vice president?
4: Well, thank you, Tom. Um, That's it's very humbling for me to hear that. I'm, I'm very blessed because it's all about paying it forward and, and making sure that you look at the folks, the path that you're creating, and you bring other folks you know, up to your ranks too. Um, I've always been that way. But a lot of it really comes from a strong work ethic and wanting to treat people the way you would wanna be treated. So all those things is kind of really where I got to be. Um, it's, it's unbelievable. And it's also about creating partnerships, Created a lot of partnerships. Um, when I was with the building trades, it was important to have partnerships with labor and management. And just now with my new position, it's the same thing. It's having partnerships with other unions, other organizations, other associations, because we all gotta to work together to survive and succeed.
3: So Elise, do you have any particular qualities that you possess that you think allowed you to to really succeed in a pretty male dominated
4: workforce? Besides a very strong work ethic, I also think that you really want it's every most every occupation out there you have to work as a team. You know, even even Beyonce has to have folks behind her, even though she may be the same. <laughs> So as much as you really want to make sure that you are a team builder and you work, and you also have to have some compassion and some personality. I mean, you not personality, but you've got to be personable. So you have to have compassion and be personable because it's important. You don't know what somebody else is going through. And one of the things when I was an apprenticeship coordinator from, from 93 to 2000 is you try and instill in your apprentices and folks moving up – You know, you may have a hard day, you may have had a hard time getting to work or a hard day, but that foreman, they don't care about that. They only care about pouring 400 yards. So when you're trying to get on a job sign and be with some other folks and understanding the empathy that everyone's trying to survive, especially in today's time. I mean, it's as much as as much as we are seeing blue collar folks move up and you're seeing some great strikes like the UAW and folks that have really done a great job of working for their members. We all have to work together. The one thing about labor and union is its solidarity. So it's really understanding and and making sure that you create partnerships and you work with everybody as a team.
3: So Elise, when you were an apprentice in the cement masons 43 years ago, did you ever conceive of rising to the level you're at now? No, (laughs) I didn't do this a year ago. Um, You 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 didn't conceive of it a year ago?
4: (laughs) No, no. Everybody has a path in front of them, and you kind of just see what's in front of you and and see which way direction you go. When a path changes and you have an opportunity, and I've always done that and looked at the at which path and what I think's a benefit for me. But um, to move from you know an apprenticeship from a business agent to working for the Builders Association, where I was in a management side, and then for the position to come up for the building and trades, that is that is huge. I never really thought. That I would have that opportunity to be the business manager for the billing trades, but and and I didn't. But I was vetted. Folks came up to me and said, "Hey, we think you'd be a good position for this. Would you be interested in running?" Which I had to run against someone, um, and I took, I defeated the incumbent, which is tough, especially like you said, I'm the first woman business manager in Kansas City. I mean, we have some other women like Gina Walsh that was head of the Missouri Building and Trade, some others. But for me for me to step on that and then um, some of the successes we had there, like the PLAs, I mean, we negotiated a PLA for the airport. That kept so many – that kept about twelve to 1,300 men and women working throughout the COVID, throughout COVID. That kept um, more – we brought more minorities and more women in on that project when you're doing and you look at challenges and you look at how obstacles and challenges you have in front of you, you've got to look at how best you're going to be able to serve your members and how your best you're going to be able to help the community because it's not just our members because our community is our future. Our community is our members. And so it's really looking at how you, how you move that up. And then From there, from being at the Building Trades for 11 years, and on my third term, our election, my election would have been next July, I really planned on finishing out my third term and then training someone to take my place. My general president, which is Kevin Sexton, which I've worked with him, once again, a partnership and a strong work ethic, I worked with him for 20 years here in Kansas City. And so he moved up, and then he moved up as general president, and he said, you know what? I want I, you know, you deserve to be there. Matter of fact, I told him Monday, I am so blessed. This is the best job I've ever had. (laughs) I have stress. I don't have near the stress. (laughs) Um, And it's like, he says, you know what? You deserve this. You deserved it a long time ago. You're it's, it's what we all do. And it's about relationships. So, you know, as well as knowing you're going to be able to do the job and helping our members and one another.
3: It sounds like you were asked by other people to run for like the, building man, you know, with the building trades and then with the vice president position you're in now, it wasn't something that you necessarily
4: sought, but other people asked you to do it. Exactly, exactly. And for the listeners out there, you know, although I was asked, I think I was actually asked to run for executive board of my local, you know, 35 years ago, because I was, I held an officer's position for like, I don't know, six or seven terms. But even when I was asked for that, it was one of those things where I didn't think I had a chance, but then, you know, my mom and dad, mainly my mom taught me that if you don't ask the answers, no. So <laughs> for your, let, let's say you do want to move up with your local. Sometimes you have to wait your turn. Sometimes there's not an opportunity right then, but get active in your local, tell your business manager, tell your agent, tell your organizer, tell your, you know, tell your foreman, Hey, you know, what's your thoughts? I really think that I'd like to get more active in the local. And, you know, Judy and Tom, there are so many volunteer opportunities from walking for a candidate, from helping with, you know, mm-hmm. we the harvesters food drive. So we're handing out food to the harvesters. There's so many opportunities out there that anybody can do. It's just getting active and getting involved. But you've got to do it. I mean, you've got to, you gotta have the passion and the commitment. You really got you don't really have need to have the passion because you'll get it once you get involved. But you need to have the commitment because you got to get up on Saturday morning, and it might be 35 degrees out. Quick
5: questions for you, follow-ups. Number one sure. is, did your time in building and trades as the business manager help you get to where ready for the job you have now? And are you the only woman that holds a vice president position in your union at, at such
4: a high level? I am, yes. I am the only female and I'm not just the vice president. We have 12, but there are eight that's on the well, there's actually six on the executive board. So I'm actually the only female on our executive board. We have had we had our Canadian um representative and she was on the executive board long ago. So I'm not the first woman. Um, but she did not necessarily work in the trade. So I'm the first tradeswoman that actually moved up to this position. And um, I mean, I look at like I've already mentioned Gina Walsh, um, mm-hmm. Senator Walsh, who is You know, she's, I think she's an executive or a deputy for, you know, for her international. So there's a lot, as well as there are several building and trades, business managers and presidents throughout the country. Now we've just moved, you know, it's just gotten, we got to We got to have folks in our leadership that look like the men and women of our members. So it's really important that we look at diversity and we look at um, females, but They have we have to earn it. Nobody wants to be a token. Nobody wants to say, oh, wait, we need a minority or, oh, wait, we need a female. You got to earn it. So you got to have a strong work ethic and get involved.
3: In an article in the Labor Beacon, you described this move into your new position as is deeply bittersweet. But you were proud of the work we accomplished together and of the condition I'm leaving the building trades in. So my question is question is, what was your proudest achievement as business manager at the Greater KC
4: Building and Construction Trades? Next to me getting appointed to a vice president of my international, my my proudest achievement in all of my career is the the brutal negotiations we had for the KCI airport. <laughs> we went through a, I guarantee it was felt like 18 months between getting the vote passed and then negotiating a contract with Clark whites, Clarkson, which Clarkson's a very strong union, but cl- uh, Clark and whites were not and negotiating a contract with a couple other labor folks. You know, there, I wasn't the only one in the room. There were two others with Dave Coleman and the iron workers and uh, the carpenters a contract that was literally that was done a hundred percent union and that's so strong and so many folks worked. And like I've already said, there are, there are so many women and, and, and men that got a career path from it because of the goals we had for minority and females. So that's, that's, will be my strongest moment and probably, probably the most rewarding. I mean, throughout, I don't know, it's going to be really hard to top that even with my new position. <laughs>
3: It's interesting that you said that because when I made that question up, I thought that might be your answer because the airport was such a big achievement. And like you say, getting it built 100 percent union, that was like a, a super achievement. So were there any disappointments along the way, something you wished you'd done that you didn't didn't get done?
4: There's I don't have any regrets. I have some disappointments. I mean, we've really worked hard. On trying to get PLAs and all. I mean, you know, as much as I talk about the airport, I was just at the Panasonic project today. And thanks to Governor Kelly and Lieutenant Governor Toland and and Kansas, we were able, that job right now, knock on wood, is still going close to 100% union. Emory SAP did the excavation and that killed the operating engineers, but we're, you know, um, but that's a disappointment because we worked really, really hard on it and we weren't able to get it a good. Achievement for everybody. I mean, the operating engineers, I mean, you know, the airport's a success because everybody won. When I look at, that's why I'm not saying Panasonic, which is $4 billion, where the airport was 1.5, but not everybody won there. I mean, and that's like being out there today. You know, you look around and it's good for some folks, but it's all about partnership and teamwork and what's best for everyone, so I think that's my regret.
5: Well, we're talking with Elise Martini. She is vice president of the Operative Plasters and Cement Masons International Association. Tell our listeners about that union and what the work so, they do. If somebody absolutely. doesn't know who they are, tell us who they are.
4: Yeah, that's great because, you know, what the heck's an operative plaster, right? So we are two different trades. We're plasterers and concrete finishers. So we finish concrete. We're not brick masons. We're not, although it says cement masons, we're not brick masons. We finish concrete. But we're also masons of cement. So we patch, we do epoxy coatings, we do overlays, we do any kind of thing that has to do with cementous products. And then our plasterers are the ones that actually did all the ornamental plastering down at Union Station or just stucco, or does a lot of um, uh, drive it, and some of the lathing and stuff. So, so those are the two trades. Um, we are not the lar- largest local, uh, international at all, but we are the oldest. Um, we've actually been, we're the oldest local. I think we've got about 150 years in.
3: So, is your job? Uh, you said it was less stressful the job you have now
4: compared to when you were the uh, in your position Dude, with the building trades. I mean, you got to realize when you're with the building and trades, you have all these different. Um, trades you know and so you're actually trying to please everyone Mm -hmm. so everybody's got an issue and they should have one between whether it's the elevator constructors which is one of the smallest trades in heat and frost or the electricians or the sheet metal or the pipe fitter or the plumber they everybody has their own uh, their own concerns and they should my priority should be my trade so trying to please everyone around that table and make it right for win-win for all of them and there are a lot (laughs) of late calls and a lot of early morning calls i mean And when somebody goes on strike, like when um, when talent went on strike, you know, I was it was I'll never forget it was Friday night, you know, and I'm talking to the operating engineer and I'm talking to the Teamsters because they were going to put a they were going to you know put a banner up on the talent um, on that Saturday morning. And you got it. I mean, it's a 24 hour job. Not that this isn't, but I'm working for. I know I we're all working for this the same goals, um, and so it's a little bit different. It's still solidarity. But you're actually, I'm not herding cats, I shouldn't say, you know? Yeah,
5: herding cats. I remember telling you that. You're real good at herding (laughs) cats.
3: Let's shift a little bit and talk about what challenges do you think women face on construction work sites? Have you seen changes in these challenges over your 43 years? Has it gotten
4: better? Oh, it's gotten so much better. It really has. And it really is important that a lot of folks, especially when they get in, they think, well, they're just doing that to me because I'm a female. No, you're an apprentice. We all get haste. We all have to do stuff that we're not acclimated for. But on the other hand, you got to stand up for yourself. And and I still see it. I still see it for minorities. I still see it for females that someone didn't respect them and they have to go. You know, go uh, outside of what's not appropriate. Um, And that's where you tell your foreman and then you tell your superintendent and then, you know, you move up the ranks with your, with your, the owner, you know, the owner, whatever's being done, because we all want to be treated equal. So it's gotten a little bit better, but there are still some folks out there that don't, you know, and it's in any industry. It's not just construction, Mm -hmm. but there's, I mean, I still hear the horror stories, um, but, on, and then the other one is, um, we have got to get our safety folks understanding that women are built different. So we've gotten better with gloves. We've gotten better with shoes, but safety harnesses and certain things, they still don't fit. I mean, they fit me, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a small petite girl, but some of our small small petite ladies and stuff that are trying to hang off a harness to harness that don't fit. So there's still some issues with safety and then there's still, this is not a female, but there's still issues with childcare. That's not a female. Yep. There's a lot of men out there that have have custody of their kids. Um, so towel care is a big issue as well as transportation. but those aren't women issues. those are everybody's issues. You got to have reliable transportation in this occupation. but safety and uh, and unfortunately a little bit of harassment um, mm-hmm. is is still is still a problem. It really is.
5: What uh, opportunities do are is in the construction industry for women. And what advice do you have for women who want to enter into the construction? They want to follow your path. What do you have to say to those people?
4: There is more work now in this industry than there has ever been before. There are, granted, they don't have goals out at Meta, which is Facebook and Google out there, but but that Turner is actually trying to have a strong women workforce. There's a lot of women working out there. There's a lot of, I mean, I didn't see a lot of women out there at the Panasonic Project today, but You need to, if you're interested in getting in a career in the construction industry, uh, go talk to a union hall, apply, or go to beunion.com, which is B-E-Y-O-U-N-I-O-N.com. And there's all the different trades there. And you can look in there and link it. Last question. You've devoted much of your time to your job. What else do you enjoy in life, Elise? A lot of folks don't know, but I am, I've been living on, I grew up on acreage and I'm back on acreage and I love the wildlife. I mean, I have already spent, I'm travel a lot, but I've already spent two two Sundays cutting wood with my brother. I love family. I just got back from Seattle, spending um, Thanksgiving with my sister. My family, my 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 older brother um, actually plowed my long my road on Sunday. God love him. My little brother <laughs> and me cut wood every week. I'm all about family, but I'm also about. Didn't I just love taking care of you know? I have some animals and. They're they're not mine. They're not. I don't have names for them. But I feed deer and I feed ducks and <laughs> I got a feral cat. I got an indoor cat. I know there's a couple of out there. I don't like them, but you still feed them. And yeah, family comes first. But after that, nature. Oh, that's great.
5: I want to thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Judy and myself are real proud of what you've been able to accomplish for yourself. And um, good luck to you in the future. And you have really said. Uh, an example for women wanting to enter into the construction industry. Thanks a lot. Well, I,
4: I got to pay it back because Heartland Labor Forum is is a mechanism and has been around forever. And it's because <laughs> of volunteers like you and Judy, Tom and Judy, that makes it continue to survive. I mean, I just, when I say it, it's like, what are you doing? I said, you remember that Judy Ansel? You know, but like, <laughs> you guys do a great job and, you well, know. Thank you. I yeah, think it's thank about you.
3: 35 years, so it has been around quite a while, but thank you, yeah. Elise, really appreciated it.
6: Join KKFI at Mike Kelly's West Sider on December 3rd from one to 5 p.m. for an afternoon of shopping, music and friends at the Holiday Gift Showcase, benefiting KKFI. From trinkets to tie-dyes and everything in between, you will complete your holiday shopping list. Live music by Dames of the Dead and Rick Simons will help you get into the giving mood. Mike Kelly's West Sider is located at 1515 Westport Road. Come support your community radio station. Happy Holidays.
7: Some new castle by, I'll be working here forever, at least until I die. Damn if you do, damn if you don't. I'm supposed to get a raise next week and you know that when I won't. Working for a living. Working for a living.
5: For... The song you just heard was Working for a Living by Huey Lewis. I'm Tom Gebkin, I'm president of CWA Local 6360. Judy Morgan, President Emeritus of AFT-691 and former state rep, will be co-hosting the show tonight. Roofs have been necessary since man stepped out of the caves and began (laughs) building shelters. They've always been created by skilled craftsmen using whatever was available at the time and the place. In the United States, these skilled union workers belong to the United Union of Roofers, Waterproofers, and Allied Workers. They ensure all buildings they work on are going to last for a long time. On tonight's Labor Leaders Series, we'll visit with Steve Draconi. He's the business manager of Roofers Local 20, and he will tell us what it takes to be a journeyman roofer and how he decided to get involved in the union. Steve, Judy and I want to welcome you to the show.
3: Hi, good to see you, Steve. Uh, Let's first talk about uh, the Roofers Local 20. Tell our audience just about your local and who they are, and it looks like you cover a really big geographic area. So could you also tell us what geographic area you cover?
6: Sure, and thank you guys for having me on tonight. Uh, We have a pretty good area. Uh, Local 20 takes in about 85 counties in Missouri. We have all of the state of Nebraska, Kansas, and Arkansas.
3: So how many members do you have?
6: Uh, we're not a huge local. We're probably somewhere in the neighborhood of like 700 and something working.
3: Okay, so you represent this big geographic area and it sounds like four, four states, four different states?
6: Yes. Now, we only really have four different contractual areas. You know, we have a Kansas City area. We have a, one of our locals, it's still Local 20, that's in uh, Springfield, Missouri, one in Jefferson City, Columbia area, and also one in St. Joe, and we also have people in Omaha.
3: So do they actually, uh, the, the folks that work in those areas, do they live in those areas where they, or yes. do they, okay. Mm-hmm. So you actually service people that live in, in quite a big area then.
6: Correct, yeah. We have basically five different wage addendums, basically is what we call them, for those are, okay. areas.
3: Okay so in terms of what you do what do roofers do i, I notice you have allied workers you've got uh, you know different it's different uh, waterproofers what do those different folks do
6: well we're roofers and waterproofers and we also do below grade stuff now other maybe not here in kansas city we do as much as in other parts of the united states but and it's mainly you know, like here in kansas city we don't do a lot of steep work you know like say residential on your house i mean our main focus is usually big commercial buildings flat roofs you know high rises you know we're basically commercial flat roofers
3: you said to do something below ground
6: Uh uh-huh yeah a lot of uh and other trades incorporate the same waterproofing you know but uh that is one of our trades it's just like roofing but on a wall or on a floor under concrete or any time that you do not want water to penetrate through is stuff that we do also
3: and how do you do waterproofing
6: it's basically the same as the type of membranes and materials we use are pretty similar you know even though you may say this is on a roof and this might be you know two feet under concrete it's basically the same type of of materials
3: See, I didn't know. I thought when I think of roofing, I think of just the above ground stuff. So that's interesting. Mm
6: -hmm. And there's so many different types of roofing, you know, out there today. And as the industry is changing over time, I mean, you know, 100 years ago, you know, we used hot asphalt. Everybody's familiar with that. Well, that's kind of being phased out. It still is in use in a very good roof. You know, a lot of schools and Mm -hmm. federal commercial buildings always use that type of roofing because it lasts the longest but there's a lot of environmental you know aspects Mm. to that and working around some of the you know some of the asphalt's are pretty bad for you you know they're called Mm. pitch it's something that was even along before you know where it's a creosote based stuff that's really harmful to your skin and we still deal with this on a daily basis you know when we tear those roofs back off you know remove the old roof the dust and stuff from them is can really cause you burns your skin it, mm-hmm. it's a it's a nasty thing but. Do, they
3: t- do you take some kind of safety precautions
6: oh yes yeah okay. we have a we call it pitch cream it's in our CBA our collective bargaining mm-hmm. agreement that the contractor must supply these uh, pitch masks are called it's like a face mask and cream it's kind of because this stuff actually just causes you to get a sunburn really fast mm. I mean, within hours, it'll burn your skin, but but that stuff's really getting phased away for good reason.
3: Mm-hmm. So you said that you don't do residential, you do primarily commercial. At one point in time, did roofers do residential, or has it always been that the roofers' Union stuck more with commercial buildings? No,
6: we used to do it all, I'm sure, years ago. It's just more of just the way that the market has went. You know, we fight the non-union contractors a lot, and it's just hard for us to compete where we give our members, you know, a great wage. They get, you know, we have three different retirements, so we have great insurance, and it's hard to compete with that when you've got guys that are paying a minimal amount to guys, and they're 1099 workers. Mm-hmm. Basically, we can't compete in that market.
5: Mm-hmm. Well, you kind of educated us on all the different kind of roof materials, or oh. As a, as a roofer goes through the apprenticeship program, does he learn one type of roofing material? Does, when he becomes a journeyman, is he able to handle anything that you guys do?
6: We have one of the best apprenticeships in the nation and we're pretty proud of that at Local 20. You know, because the way the roofers union is, we're not standardized when it comes to apprenticeships around the country. Some of our locals do not have near of long of school you know, it's usually somewhere between three and five. We're a five-year school here, uh, but uh, yes, they learn every single type of roofing and how to install it.
5: So when, when a, that's one of the reasons it's important to have union workers uh, for customers to have union work over non-union work.
6: That would be correct, yes, because we are highly trained, um, and. Uh, are taught to every single one of our guys that is consi- that is a journeyman knows every single type of roof system and how to install it. We basically through our apprenticeship are not just trying to train roofers, we try to train what we call foremen. You know we want everybody walking out this door to be able to have the knowledge to go and run a crew or, or help a company. You can start your own company. You know, that's That's what we're here for to try to benefit everyone that comes into our union to give them the same opportunity as anybody else that's
5: the true definition
6: of skilled labor
3: (laughs) one thing i think our audience might be interested in is kind of your your journey from from becoming a roofer to then becoming a union leader but when we were talking a little bit before the show it sounds like you did something else before you were a roofer also so kind of just tell our audience about your whole career path
6: well you know i grew up i'm really a was a third-generation teamster. My grandfather, my father, my uncles were teamsters. Uh, you know, my whole family has been union. So you kind of grow up doing what your parents did, right? But then I had an opportunity, you know, later on in life to going into the roofers union, and and it has been a, a, a great thing. And I tell all of our kids, you know, that come into the apprenticeship that, hey, if you're the kind of person that wants to apply yourself, show up every day, you sky's the limit i mean look at me you know i mean sky's the limit you know that you know and i feel like what i'm doing now is to pay back you know i i don't do this for personal gain myself it's what i feel like is the best for our local and to promote our union as a whole i mean and, and anybody can have it you know you have to want to and mm-hmm. put forth the effort
3: how long have you been a roofer
6: I mean, I think I'm like at 19 years here now.
3: Okay, and how long were you a Teamster then? I was
6: over 15 there.
3: Okay, so you were a Teamster quite a while. What did you do as a Teamster?
6: I basically, uh, I drove tractor trailers, I was a crane operator.
3: So were you always active in the unions? And she said you had a a family background Mm -hmm. in unions. Was that something that was impressed on you as a kid—the importance of a union?
6: Absolutely. Okay. I mean, like I tell people, you know, I I grew up in a time when you know I was born in the mid '60s. Unions were pretty strong then. You know, into the '70s. You know, yes, and you know, having a grandfather and a father and uncles that were all union. you that's just what you know i mean you don't know any other way and when it comes to you going out into the world for a job you don't ever even think that of of settling for anything other than that it's in your blood well and yeah and a lot of people in this world even today out there listening right now think these jobs are hard to get and i'm here to tell you that they are not we are here offering it up you know every trade in in the whole world at least the United States probably needs people and we are offering we pay a great wage you know we train you Mm -hmm. you know you get paid while you yes you get retirement and it's it's pretty substantial too.
3: How did you go from becoming a roofer to being the head guy at your local 20?
6: Well you know I've always tried to be involved, whether that has been a union steward at your company and then, you know, being on the executive board for our union for years. And then I was also the president before taking the position of business manager that I've been now. But it's it's just I just always felt like it was my duty, as a union person, to pay back the union by, you know, being involved.
3: And most of our listeners may know that the the business manager is actually the the the, the big job. That's the you're the main person at that local.
6: Right? That is true, yeah. and you know there's some there's a lot of different aspect to what I do that when I was an actual field person working, and our members don't really realize a lot of what we have to do, and what our responsibilities are and you know it's been a learning curve i i feel like it's it's been a good journey so far so tonight on the
3: heartland labor forum we're talking to steve dracone who is with the roofers local 20.
5: well you told us that you have a pretty large geographic area and you can't be everywhere at once so you have to have good people working with you to get to where you need to be would you discuss that
6: Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, we work as a team and without the people in my office, I could not do what I do, (laughs) you know, because they really do the work. I mean, (laughs) a couple of them in the office tease me all the time, you know, and I, you know, I'm just the pretty face, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because they're the ones that actually do a lot of the legwork, And, you know, I'm more of the PR guy and, you know, deal with a lot of the more harsher things that happen. But,
3: do you do the negotiating? Oh yes. And you and you have you have a, more than one collective bargaining agreement, or do you just have one no, master I, contract?
6: No, we every single area that I named off earlier has its own CBA, and we negotiate those.
3: And do you, are you a big part of negotiations? Oh yes. Is that something mm-hmm. that's a big part of your job? That is
6: absolutely one of my number one jobs when it comes to that to be the you know the person of reason and making sure that we're you know because it's really a team you know Mm -hmm. i I know people want to say you know union people want this but you know it's a it's a partnership between the two
3: so so you've been in the union for a while now you said Mm -hmm. where do you want to take your union as the leader of local 20.
6: i think the best thing i could say is i would like to you know, try to get our market share up, you know, it's a something that, you know, it dwindles over the maybe, years. And, maybe
3: talk about what market share
6: is. And it's like the percentage of work in your area that okay. is goes union okay. through your contractors. You know, that is what you mean by market share, and that steadily dwindles over years. We have a lot of what we call undocumented or ten ninety nine worker that goes on around here that don't get the pay we get.
5: Okay, so you want to grow market share which means you need more employees uh would you tell us what it what a uh, person who wants to be in local 20 what do they need to have and what can they expect if they join local 20.
6: okay that's really easy because we are looking for people in our local uh please don't take this the wrong way but we do not even require someone to have a high school education Uh, you just basically need transportation you know and there's two ways we have a website that you could go to rooferslocal20.com or you could even call us at our office at 816-313-9420 and we would answer any questions and we have opportunities to put on 40-50 people right now if people are looking for a job please call my office at (laughs) 816-313-9420.
5: And you would, uh, if a person is a felon, is that a problem, an ex-felon?
6: Absolutely not. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of our best members and most dedicated members come from the prison system.
5: It's an opportunity to turn things around and make Mm -hmm. things better for that individual, so.
3: Do they have to go through drug testing? Is there some kind of drug testing as part of the apprenticeship or once Uh, they're on the job?
6: well not really part most of the contractors you know it's their obligate you know their job and some of them their company policies do require a pre hire but you know there is no random drug testing
3: okay no so they don't just don't just on the job show up and say we're going to drug test you today right nothing yeah. like that we okay. do not have
6: that
5: and you got to be willing to work in all kinds of weather you get rain days but you got to work in the hot sun and do you work in extreme cold too
6: absolutely yeah i mean there's a lot of times when it's maybe below freezing certain the type of roof you might be doing the adhesives or something may not be able to operate under a certain temperature but most of the time we we work in all all types of weather.
3: I know sometimes I've seen really hot days when roofers are working. Is there anything on that end where where when it gets really hot it's too dangerous to work?
6: And I think OSHA has stepped in over the last year or so and put down some guidelines on that you know about working in heat and getting people acclimated to that you know as part of a hiring process. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a hard job. It's what we do, but it gets paid good. And and believe it or not, you get better as it gets easier as you get more experience in the business.
3: Well, thank you, Steve Draconi, for being with us tonight. We really appreciate you being part of our uh, Labor Leader Series. And I'm Judy Morgan, and with Tom Gepkin, uh, we appreciated your spending time with us on the Heartland Labor Forum.
4: My thank pleasure. You,
6: Steve. My pleasure. Thank you. I'm Mark Galis, here
5: with our occasional feature, Labor Song of the Month. Tonight, we'll hear Three Miles Down by Gil Scott Heron. Gil Scott Heron was a poet, singer, author, and activist. He was well known for his spoken word performances, especially The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, leading many to consider him the godfather of rap. Scott Heron's work addressed issues such as race relations, apartheid, prison conditions and nuclear nonproliferation. Three Miles Down, written by Scott Heron and his longtime collaborator Brian Jackson, is a commentary on safety issues in the coal mines. Despite the advancements wrought by John L. Lewis and the United Mine Workers, working conditions in the mines were still dangerous in the 1970s, and probably still today. From the 1978 album Secrets, here's Gil Scott Heron with Three Miles Down.
1: Well, it's like working in a graveyard three miles down And near am as old as the mines The things that happen in the pits just don't change with times Work till you're exhausted into little space, a history of disastrous fears It's on your face. Somebody signs a paper, everybody thinks it's fine, but tapped in a heart ain't done one day in the mind You start to stiffen. You heard a cracking sound. It's like. Working in a graveyard three miles out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: for the Heartland Labor Forum calendar. The UU Forum will be this Sunday and it's on Years of Fighting Fascism and What the Future Holds with Devin Burkhart. And that's at 9.30 a.m. at All Souls UU Church 4501 Walnut, Kansas City, or on YouTube. And you can go to All Souls UU Church and find your link. Support striking Wichita nurses at Ascension Hospitals. That was what our news story was about today that's wednesday december 6th all day show your solidarity on x formerly known as twitter instagram or facebook at at national nurses and you could call jennifer Ryder, the vice president of human resources at ascension hospitals and tell her to solve the staffing shortages in wichita hospitals Numbers 317 508 3473. And let me say that this calendar is going to be up on our Facebook page, the Heartland Labor Forum Facebook page, where you can find this and all the links. Labor Notes, Secrets of a Successful Organizer trainings Thursdays tonight, which you're missing, December 7th and 14th, 6 to 8 p.m. This is online. Register at labornotes events, labornotes.org slash events slash 2023. Missouri Jobs with Justice end of the year party is next Tuesday, December 5th, 6 to 8 p.m. at IBEW Local 124, 301 East 103rd Terrace, Kansas City, Missouri. Celebrate all the solidarity of 2023 and you can register at a link, which is on our Facebook page. Union International Organizing Training online with longtime labor educator, Bill Barry. And that's Thursday, December 7th, and it's about signing up free riders, and you can register at laborsbookstore.com and save the date for next year's Labor Notes Conference, April 19th to 21st in Chicago near O'Hare Airport, and you can register at labornotes slash events slash 2023. And that's it for tonight's show. Tune in next week to the Heartland Labor Forum. We're gonna be asking, can labor seize the movement moment? And how Jane McAlevey transformed the labor movement. The Heartland Labor Forum is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. Check out the rich diversity of programming related to workers and unions at laborradionetwork.org. Thanks to tonight's engineer, Stephen Hill. Welcome back, Stephen. No, it's uh, Dwight Frizzell. Listening to the Heartland Labor Forum,
7: a show by and about
0: workers, our workplaces, and our labor movement. We are radio that talks back to the boss. And you can talk back to us too. Send us your feedback, your workplace stories, news, and ideas for shows to Heartland Labor Forum KKFI at gmail.com. Our website, where we archive shows and post our upcoming ones, is heartlandlaborforum.org. The views expressed on this show are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any of the unions involved. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 or to our rebroadcast Friday mornings at 5 right here, 90.1 FM. KKFI. We, still got our
7: pride, cause we are the working class and place to be he said if I were Frank Sinatra I'd pull strings and through political